The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments, Season 3. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the odd, the weird, the strange. Hope you'll enjoy it. Now, on with the show. Good evening, friends. This is Terry from Texas. This is Season 3 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. I thank you for being with me for the previous two seasons. Tonight we have a very special show. It's an interview with a young man named Seth Breedlove, who has had the interest in his life of seeking out local legends, local cryptids, local oddities, and has begun to make a life of making movies about them. Now, I want to go ahead and get on with the interview, so here it is. Hello, everybody. This is Terry from Texas. I am on the phone with Seth Breedlove, who has brought forth some films about cryptids and other things. He has a company called Small Town Monsters, and he's on YouTube, and he's on Amazon Prime with several different videos, uh, some of which are, or all of which maybe, are Minerva Monster, The Beast of Whitehall, The Boggy Creek Monster, The Mothman of Point Pleasant, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, a short called The Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear, and he's working on coming out with The Bray Road Beast, is that correct? Yeah, well, The Bray Road Beast actually was released back in October. Oh, okay. Otherwise, yeah, that's that's right on. Okay, so we're we're all out in the open now. Uh, Bray Road Beast has been released. That sounds like a very interesting subject to chase down, seeing as how it's a very small area of, what is it, Michigan? Uh, it's actually Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin, but, I'm uh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people might might get confused on that actually because of the uh, the Michigan Dogman legends. It's actually kind of started off around the same time. That's probably where I got it from. Then the Bray Road Beast is what do you think? A werewolf? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the 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 stories revolve around the sort of like an upright walking uh, wolf wolf-like creature, kind of your classic, almost like a classic uh, werewolf. 
that. And, uh, you know, those sightings kicked off in, I think it was the very late 80s, but there were sightings prior to that. But that when it kind of came to prominence was the late 80s. And, you know, people people described seeing this upright walking uh, dog man, dog-like creature. Um, and uh, this, this was spotted all around Wisconsin and it went on for probably about three years. It, it became, you know, extremely popular uh, when it was covered by 60 Minutes and, uh, you know, remains fairly popular today as, as long as you're not talking about actually living in, in Wisconsin and in, in Elkhorn because in that area they really don't, they just don't care about the story. Um, so we, you know, we covered that whole initial spate of sightings that went on of the creature and um, you know we were there talked to witnesses and, and people who'd actually investigated sightings of the creature and um, I came away from it with no more answers uh, than I went into it there's there's a lot of very bizarre angles to the case from uh, the, the actual sightings of what seems to be some sort of flesh and blood creature um, to some, some really bizarre sort of occult-like activity that was taking place around the area at the same time. So it's, it's a very, very bizarre story with a lot of uh, really, really strange angles to it. There's no, you know, with most of, most of our cases, I come away from them thinking there's no easy answers to this, and that, that, that's definitely a story where that held true. Yeah, is uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember the stories that I've read about the Bray Road Beast, is this the one where a game warden or someone went out to pick up a dead deer off the road and it took it out of the back of his truck? Yeah, that is that is actually a, a story that's become fairly well known. It's not one that we actually covered in our film, uh, you know, mostly because it's, it's been fairly. Uh, covered elsewhere, but yeah. but yeah, that is. There was a man that was um, worked for worked for the county and and was out cleaning up some roadkill, and, and you know, according to him, he turned around, this thing had leapt into the back of his truck, grabbed uh, the deer that he just thrown in there, and took off with it. Um, and there's a lot of you know strange stories around Elkhorn. Um, similar to that uh, you know there, there were there's quite a number of, of accounts that we covered in the film that re- relate to you know people having a sighting of this creature actually chasing like deer or other animals across fields and things like that so wow. you know whatever whatever's going on there uh, the, the creature in question seems to be a little uh, meaner than like your typical Bigfoot report or something like that yeah well, I got to tell you, I had a I had a dream one time when I was younger that I was driving down the country road I lived on in Central Texas, and it's a it's a lane and a half road. You can barely pass on the thing. And I heard something running beside me, and when I looked out, there was a, there was a wolf, a werewolf type creature, running next to me. So this thing stuck in my mind when I heard the story, and I was very interested in it. Now. You, you've done other things, and a lot of the other creatures that you've looked into are Bigfoot-type creatures. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we try to run the gamut of legends that we're covering from, from Bigfoot to Mothman to, you know, to the Flatwoods Monster. Um, so we, 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 we like to get a, a wide variety of topics. But the first three films we made, starting with Minerva Monster, um, The Bray Road Beast, and... 
the Bogby Creek monster, all sort of centered around uh, Bigfoot type creatures uh, in Ohio, New York, and Arkansas, uh, respectively. Yeah. You mentioned the Flatwoods monster. That's the Ace of Spades creature, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's 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 one of the stranger stories that we've covered, definitely, and and it's one that's that's not maybe not as well known as some of the others that we've gotten into. Um, but you know, it, it it kind of was actually around and, and known about before the Mothman story. So this is this is one of the original sort of West Virginia, you know, Appalachian monster legends. Uh, and it, it, that one revolves around a, a small town called Flatwoods, which is um, tucked away sort of in the hills and hollers of West Virginia. Um, it, in 1952, September of 1952, these kids were, were playing football at the bottom of a, of a large hill, kind of down in the middle of town. Um, and they saw something go streaking across the sky, on seemingly on fire, some sort of you know object went sailing across the sky that was in flames and uh, crash landed on top of the hill. And they they made their way to the top of this hill uh, to see what you know what it was that had crashed. And when they got up there, they found a uh, glowing orange sort of object um, that had embedded itself in the, on the side of the hill. Uh, and um, as they went to investigate it, they actually saw this, this large sort of creature uh, standing by a tree. Uh, I use the word creature hesitantly because because actually what they described seeing was more of a you know machine or some sort of robot or something like that mm-hmm. um, but it was you know the, the strange thing about that story is it was sort of preceded uh, by a, a a rash of, of UFO reports all along the eastern seaboard that ran um, from West Virginia and Virginia and Washington DC all the way down to um, all the way down to the uh, Alabama. Wow, I didn't realize it was that wide of a scope on that, but I, that was an interesting one for me too because uh, they said not only this creature or this thing looked like it had an ace of spades for a head, but its ship was like an ace of spades. Is that right? Well, I, I believe I've heard that somewhere else, but I mean, that that's not really what was reported by witnesses. That's a really oh. unique story because so much of it has been sort of, um, you know, trumped up over the years and changed uh, in the retelling. Um, what what they actually saw it depends on who you were who you were actually at the scene with, but you know what the kids described seeing was just a glow down over the side of the hill. Their mom and another man actually were the ones that that saw you know the object, and uh, all they said is that they saw some sort of uh, crashed you know strange object that was sitting on the side of this hill. So it's not you know it's not that story has been really kind of blown out of proportion in the years um, over the years and that's that's actually one of the things we sort of focused on in, in the making of our movie was how uh, uh, an actual event can sort of become basically just one big folk tale or folk legend um, and that that seems to be one of those cases you know what, what was actually just a group of kids seeing a, a glow in the woods becomes you know a group of kids sees a, 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 an actual UFO but it, it really wasn't quite as uh, dramatic as, as the story's been made out to be over the years okay well let me ask you some other questions then uh, not so much about the movies but about you 
What got you started down the monster trail to begin with? Um, actually, my my own personal story is kind of dull. I I, uh, I, I worked in newspapers for a while, and uh, I grew up in a very small town. Um, and sometime, at some point, I, I became aware of sightings uh, of Bigfoot-like creatures on these roads behind the house that I'd grown up in. And I used to drive down there and talk to people that lived back on those roads about, you know, what was being seen, what was happening. And uh, there were some really interesting stories. There was there was a lady who was a um, who was a dentist actually, and her husband was a, a district attorney, and they they owned a ranch back on one of these back roads. And um, they she I actually got to interview and speak with her once, and she told me these very you know elaborate stories about how the the Bigfoots were so uh, sort of commonplace on their property that they would walk up behind the house and you know eat eat food in the backyard, and the kids would follow them on horseback and all this kind of stuff, and. Um, that was really unusual and seemed to run contrary to what some of the other people were telling me on this back road, which is that they were finding deer with their necks snapped and their hides ripped out and, you know, all sorts of weird animal kills were taking place in that area. Um, they would find deer ripped in half and actually stuffed up in trees. Um, you know, just things that don't really correlate to a known animal in a town like Bolivar, Ohio. Um, so, all this, uh, all this is what kind of you know got me interested in everything. I started talking to those people, and one thing led to the next. And you know, I started looking into sort of historical accounts around the state of Ohio, and I found that there were uh, you know accounts of Bigfoot-like creatures going all the way back to the 1800s in Ohio, and I I had no idea about that, and that was what really sort of grabbed my attention and, and got me invested in the subject. And that's kind of where everything began for me. Do you have any encounters of your own to speak of? Uh, actually, so up until June of last year, um, I would have said no, but, but last June I went uh, camping in, uh, well, camping is, is a nice way to put it. I was uh, filming for a mini-series of mine called On the Trail of Bigfoot that comes out in a few weeks, mm-hmm. actually, and um, we were invited to a spot in the Wachita Mountains in Oklahoma, um, where there was a, a you know a group of of Bigfoot, what you would call Bigfoot hunters, but that's not really how they refer to themselves. Um, but they were in they they actually go into this spot in the Wachita Mountains, and they're in there for um, probably about four or five months out of the year uh, in shifts of, of four to six people at a time. Um, and they go in there and they're in there from, you know, from anywhere from like April to November or April to October, somewhere in there. And they've been having and documenting activity of, of unknown, you know, creatures living in that area for about 20 years now. So we were invited into the area, myself and my friend Adam Dugan. And uh, we got in there on a Saturday morning and we were in there through a Monday morning. So it wasn't a very long time that we were in there. But in the time we were in there, we experienced a number of really, you know, strange things. Nothing I would immediately say was unidentifiable or, you know, really made me change my mind about Bigfoot. But um, there was, you know, we, we documented rock throws and strange whistles and what seemed to be wood knocks in the forest and things like that. Um, 
and then on on one of the last nights on the last night we were in there we we actually saw uh, two large eyes uh, watching us from the hill late at night um, in a in a spot where there was no light so that was a little strange they were you know bright green kind of like a deer eye shine but much larger uh, you know half dollar or something like that size wow. um, and then later that night uh, we actually went to bed and, and I was about to fall asleep when uh, something threw a rock and um, from from actually the same hill where I'd seen the eyes earlier uh, something threw a rock from that same hill and it crashed into the roof of the metal uh, outbuilding um, and, and immediately after that there was this sort of whoop sound uh, followed by a, what, what sounded like a gibbon laughing in a zoo. I mean, it, it sounded like you were in a primate enclosure at a zoo. Wow. And, um, and and that, so, so that was really strange. You know, like when, one thing you have to predicate all this with is the fact that we, we are not in a place where there are people, where people can really get to. Um, and we were aware of where everyone in our group was at all times. There was only four other people besides myself and Adam in there, and they're all you know, very trustworthy, uh, you know, highly intelligent people. So, so we're in that area, um, in a place, uh, that's about, it's only about 10 miles as the crow flies from paved road, but that's a two and a half hour drive because of how steep the mountain is that we, we go down in to get in here. And, um, you know, it's just the, the odd people being in there are nil, uh, especially when everyone in the group we were with was armed. Uh, you wouldn't want to throw rocks at armed people in the, woods, <laughs> in the middle of the, of the woods in the Washington's. Um So we, it was just a really strange experience, and uh, you know that that kind of moved the needle, as it were, for me. From you know prior to this, I was probably at about maybe thirty percent that things these things could exist, and now I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's an eighty percent chance that they're, they're actually out there. Yeah. Have you considered anything on the Skinwalker Ranch? Um, actually, yeah, it's, it's a story I had actually originally been planning on covering last year, and then I found out there was another movie being made by uh, a guy named Jeremy Corbell, Kenyon Awakir uh, Bell, and I uh, bailed on that one because he was he was working on his. So yeah. it's something I'd like to, to cover at some point. Um, I'm just not entirely sure when I'll get to it. It's actually part of the outline for our upcoming uh, On the Trail of UFOs miniseries. So mm-hmm. if we can if we can get that off the ground, we would at least be covering it in some capacity within that, that miniseries. I heard you in another interview talk about the Kecksburg incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's the Chestnut Ridge area we're talking about? Uh, yeah, it is. We, we made a film uh, titled Invasion on Chestnut Ridge okay. uh, that kind of walks you through the, the whole, uh, not the whole history, because it's a really weird place with a, a long history of bizarre activity, but we, we start with the Kecksburg UFO crash, and that's kind of the, the, the point in the film that kicks off everything. So we, we start with that um which was, for, for listeners that might not be aware, uh, there was a supposed UFO crash in a town called Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and it, it took place, I believe, the late 50s, and um, it, it involved a sort of acorn-shaped craft that came down just outside of town and was car- carried away by uh, government, or I guess military personnel later that night. Uh, and was never seen again. But, you know, the, the Chestnut Ridge itself, 
like I said, has a very long history of of unusual activity from from UFO sightings to Bigfoot reports to uh, pretty much anything you can imagine. Thunderbirds and and Dogman and portals in the woods and orbs and all kind of weird, you know, shadowy kind of activity. Okay. Well, I'm glad you mentioned portals because in reading the book about the Skinwalker Ranch, um, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, they talk about seeing... I would assume a portal, and then they have Bigfoot sightings or Bigfoot type sightings. They also have UFO sightings and and strange creatures. Could it be like the Pennsylvania West? Oh yeah, I, I actually that was what we referred to uh, Chestnut Ridge as when I was working on on the Chestnut Ridge movie. I would actually explain it to the guys in the crew as like this is this is kind of like Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> You know, but on the East Coast, or or this is kind of like an inland uh, Bermuda Triangle, where yeah. you know just something about these places, and they're the, the, you know Skinwalker, uh, the Chestnut Ridge, Bermuda. Th- those aren't those aren't the only places around the world where where you know it seems like there's constant sort of weird activity. There's also a place in in Vermont called the Bennington Triangle, which right. kind of uh, bumps right up against uh, the town of Whitehall in New York that we uh, we made a movie about called Beast of Whitehall. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's others kind of all around the country. Out in out in Arizona, there's uh, there's a place called Stardust Ranch. There's um, you know there's something about these places. I've heard people call them window areas before, um, where it just seems like there's there's something about them that acts as a magnet for the paranormal. Right. Um, and and. Definitely, uh, Skinwalker and uh, the Chestnut Ridge fall fall into that. And what's what's kind of funny about the Chestnut Ridge too is is uh, you know our film barely scratches the surface of what's going on there. And there were certain things um, that we actually d- didn't even put in the movie simply because we were afraid the audience would think we were making it up. Uh, there was you know there was there was a, uh, there were accounts of these giant translucent caterpillars that uh, <laughs> originally we had in the script and I, I you know we were going through the, the final edit and I said we gotta we gotta pull this out because people are gonna this is gonna earn a laugh more than it will you know some sort of you know a, a fear response or something like that so uh, um, you know when I was I had breakfast with Stan Gordon last year and Stan is, is kind of the the investigator of the Chestnut Ridge, and he was telling me a story about a police officer that claimed he had seen a, some sort of eight-foot-tall uh, monster with eyes in the center of its chest. It had no head. It just had, uh, you know, it was like a walking, uh, almost like that character from Lindy Tunes. I can't, I can't think of his name, but, wow. but he, he described this, this police, and this was from a police officer, a local police officer that had reported this to the stand. So, you know, the activity in the Chestnut Ridge is it almost, by comparison, could make Skinwalker look relatively normal. Because um, the Chestnut Ridge is so, so strange and there's such a wide variety of things going on that it's, it's hard to even keep track of. Yeah. Well, the, the description of the, the monster with, with the, or the creature with the eyes in the middle of his chest sounds like some of the early uh, descriptions of Mothman. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud. 
passionate and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Uh, yeah, the the other one that came to mind is also a, a West Virginia monster called the Grafton monster, and that was a that was a huge sort of eight or nine foot tall creature that, that supposedly was headless that had uh, its head was sort of in the middle of its chest. So there's two; those, those are both like that. But you're right, the the uh, the Mothman was also termed like the flying wing a couple times because mm-hmm. it didn't seem to have a head at all. It just had these legs and wings, and you know. Uh, but you're right, the descriptions are kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, it does sound like that big red monster with the white sneakers on Looney Tunes. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> I can't remember that guy's name either. I just I, That's what I always think yeah. of. Do these sightings of all the different things that you've investigated, do they have a time frame or are they continuing? Or are they just, you know, like over a 10, 15 year period or what? It just depends on the case. You know, something like the Flatwoods Monster was not seen again. Um, it was seen during that one period of time, and then it kind of disappears. You know, there's 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 the Kentucky uh, Gremlins or Goblins, the, you know, the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins. They were only seen one time, and then it was over. But, but you know, there's cases like the Minerva Monster are interesting because essentially what the family was describing was similar to what we think of a Bigfoot as being, only it was that sort of 70s during that 70s era, there were these Bigfoot reports that rather than being sort of an ape-like being or what we picture as like the classic Bigfoot like creature, you know, maybe like the Patterson-Gimlin film creature, those 70s reports seem to be of these animals that were so covered in hair that you couldn't even distinguish features. You know, they were just head to toe covered in, in fur. Uh, and Minerva was one of those. But, you know, essentially what the family was describing was some sort of Bigfoot-like creature. And that that animal is still seen on their property today, uh, along with others that it supposedly is back there with. Um, you know, but... But sure, the Mothman was seen for basically a year and a half, and then it was gone. Um, you know, and there's there's been creatures that have been seen in recent years that sort of resemble the Mothman, but for the most part, that, that Mothman case ended after that, you know, 1966 to 1967 period. My favorite stories are the ones where they're only seen, you know, through a certain period of time or only seen a few times and then they go away because that, that kind of you know almost makes it more mysterious okay do you have any interest in in uh, doing a story on the Jersey Devil yeah that's that's probably at this point the one we get asked about the most um, 
And I've done a, a fair amount of research on that case because of uh, the uh, just just my own personal interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at some point, and at some point in the next few years, we will probably get to the Jersey Devil. We have to get out to the East Coast. I mean, we're on the East Coast, but we haven't made like a sort of East Coast monster movie trilogy yet. So we'll, once we get to that, we'll, we'll definitely look at doing Jersey Devil. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school. I had uh, two definite UFO sightings. Uh-huh. One was simply a bright orb on the on the horizon that shot a smaller orb out from it and then brought it back. And I described uh-huh. it much like somebody throwing a yo-yo out and bringing it back to them. Sure. Another one, I was sitting in a drive-in theater and a V-shaped object slowly floated over the top of the screen. Uh-huh. And I don't know that anybody else responded to it except me and the guy that was in the car with me were watching the movie, and he looked up and said, hey, look at that. And then I've had one, what I would call a ghost experience here in my bedroom, and it was just one sighting one time, although last night somebody laughed outside my door, and it wasn't my wife. She was asleep. So, you know, I, I get kind of the wide gamut of experiences, but I still call myself a skeptical believer. You know, there there are so many things that I look at and go, yeah, I can believe that. That's true. But I look at other things and go, you got to be kidding me. You ever have that feeling? Sure, yeah. I, I, the skeptical believer is a good way of putting it, actually. Like, I, I don't typically use the word believer at all, but um, I... I I'm in the same camp. I'm, I tend to be more skeptical of everything, but there are things that make you wonder, you know, what what's happened. Now, I haven't witnessed ghosts or UFOs or any of that, but, but for sure, I I want I actually want you know mystery in the world still because I I don't believe that we've discovered everything, and I don't believe mankind is all knowing. So I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely kind of in the same camp. I think you mentioned the Kelly Hopkinsville incident and the the little gremlins. One of the stories I read about that was that when the police responded to the family, they they found, or to the house, they found the house had been shot up from inside and said that the, the people that lived there were carnival folk. And I said something about that, and somebody called me, said that I wasn't being, uh, uh, I can't think of the word I need to use there, but... Then I read another story that said that they were basically just folk and they were scared out of their wits and they moved quickly, you know. But the other story said that the carnival folks moved on with the carnival. But then on one of your shows, I believe you said they showed up on the the eastern end of the state. Uh, The goblins? Yeah, the goblins, not the folks. I'm sorry, the goblins. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never. I don't think I've ever heard that. Now I do know. You know, there's, there's, there were supposedly sightings again more recently, uh, in, in the last few years. But it seemed like that might have been a report that was kind of coming out to, to promote a movie or something like that. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'm not aware of anything after that initial, you know, Kelly Hopkins still sightings. Yeah, after after the hype on the Blair Witch Project, I get real suspicious <laughs> if somebody says this is a real story. You know, I I'm just because uh, about five minutes into the Blair Witch, I was hoping the the blonde girl would get killed off quickly, but um, that's just me. You know, I can't really think of much else to ask you. I wish you luck on these these uh, 
films that you're doing, and and I I will look them up. I haven't seen them yet, but I want to look them up and and get them into my library so I can see them when I want to. And I Great. I appreciate you coming on the show for me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm I'm sure the listeners will be glad you were here too. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a this has been an interview with Seth Breedlove. What do you want to say, Seth? I just said thanks for, thanks again oh, for having me. Sure, and I appreciate you being here. Have a good day. All right. You too. Bye bye. Well, there you go. An interview with Seth Breedlove live, as live as I can make it. I hope you enjoyed it. That's the show for this week. We'll be back next week. We hope with season three, episode two. And remember to listen to Real Paranormal Activity on Mondays with Aaron Hunter. Aaron's Horror Show on Tuesdays with Aaron Frail. Me on Wednesdays with Terry's Mysterious Moments. And welcome back to the family, Patrick Sean Jones with Sandman's Lullaby. Have a good week, everybody. Bye-bye.